What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. This is your Wednesday, October 26th episode, and that means we are going to bring back in Jared Mueller for our Browns Burning Questions midweek episode, which I think hits on a lot of pertinent topics. Jared, what's up, man? How are you? You know, just loving life over here. And Listen, we're going to talk about the Browns topics right away. I don't think we need to rehash the game necessarily, but I think we should sort of dig right into some of these burning questions. And I guess this isn't a burning question to start. It's really the the massive takeaway is this run the ball stuff, right? You know, and I'm, you know, I remember having discussions, arguments with people at the OBR, Anthony Reinhardt, Jack Duff, and I had a specific podcast of this shared where they were like, well, you should just throw it every play. I mean, the EPA of throwing is so significantly better than running. You should run it every, sorry, throw it every play. And I was a staunch defender of running the football. But it seems like people, this is my opinion on this topic, right, Jared? Because we saw a bunch of different talking points around the carries. Well, it's it's this 20 carry threshold. They they win more games when Nick gets to 20 carries or 20 touches. And uh, they should they should certainly be looking to do that all the time. Right. I went back and checked and some of that stuff's not as favorable as you would think it is Um, in their best season. 2020 Nick played in 12 games. He um. I think he only got to, to 20 touches, four of those of those 12 games, and they went nine and three. So anyway, uh, looking at this stuff and I and people are also talking about it's the situations in which they don't run. Right. It's the it's not that they don't run enough. It's that they don't run when you think they should run. So <laughs> like what I think this is bigger than anything else is people are looking for a simple solution to why they're losing. I think that is the crux of it. And you can always look at the Browns. You can always look at Nick Chubb and you can look at every single situation and be like, if that play didn't work, you know, a sack on the quarterback, uh, an incomplete uh, pass of any variety, a uh, fade ball with a push off, uh, offensive pass interference, any result, and a Kareem Hunt's on the field, right? That third and four in the opening drive against or the second drive. I can't remember. I think it was a second drive against the Patriots, third and four down about the 15 yard line. They run uh, Kareem. Why isn't Nick in there? I, I think everybody wants to simplify this to saying that they they don't get, they're losing because they don't get Nick Chubb involved, and that's just not that's just a massive oversimplification in my opinion. Especially when you look at Nick as getting as many or more touches than any. And I mean, the Browns collectively are giving their backs as many as anyone, but Nick is getting a significant volume of touches. So I just think, to me, Jared, you tell me if I'm wrong and give me your opinion on this because it is it is made. I can't believe they just played Sunday at one o'clock. It feels like it's been a week of just <laughs> discussion, but I want your take on this. But I really do believe it's just folks wanting to have a simple solution to this issue of two and five. And the simplest solution is to just say they got to give Nick the ball more. Why didn't they do it on this third and two? Why didn't they do it here? Why is Kareem getting it? Why'd they throw it? Hey, I could just go back and say Nick Chubb can do superhero stuff every single play. And that would have won them the game. Do you sound? Do I sound crazy by thinking that way? I just think that's where people are leaning. Yeah, I think it is where people are leaning. I I don't think you're crazy, but I think it's. I think we almost oversimplify people trying to oversimplify, right? And so, you know, that third and two push off that was a cover zero, and I don't care if he was Superman. Nick Chubbing might not even get two yards out of that, right? Um, I think the other thing that sometimes gets lost in the situational conversation is you may not be in that situation if you don't run Nick Chubb earlier in that drive. And if you want Nick Chubb to not break down, 
then you can't run him earlier in the drive and in every situation you want him to be run. You know, TA, one of the guys that does a lot of good data stuff showed, you know, just has a simple graph to show that when Nick gets around 17 to 20 carries, his production dips pretty significantly. Right. And so I think it's just, yes, it is oversimplified. I just think it's so, it's such a tough game. And you and I have talked about this 22 players on the field, all the referees, the weather, the field conditions, all of that plays such a role that people want to understand it. They want to be able to explain it. They want to be able to talk about it. And so there are very few people who can look at film the way you do or Jonathan does or, you know, a lot of people do. And so instead it comes back to results oriented analysis. And I know I say it quite often, but it doesn't take an intelligent person to watch a third and two pass end up in offensive pass interference and say, well, that didn't work. They should have run the ball. But when it is third and one, third and two, and they throw a 40-yard similar play to Donovan Peoples-Jones a few games ago, well, that's awesome. That worked, so that was a great idea, right? It doesn't take an intelligent person to look at results and analyze backwards. But in the end, it's about making decisions going forward, and it's very obvious. Again, let's use the Amari Cooper push-off. Third and two, they come with a full-out blitz, cover zero, man-to-man, You have Amari freaking Cooper. Jacoby Brissett puts a great ball exactly where it needs to go. And Cooper gets called for something that almost never gets called, especially on a veteran receiver. If that doesn't get called, it's a touchdown. The Browns are leading at that point in time. And Brissett's awesome. Cooper's awesome. Great call by Kevin Stefanski. I think the reality is the fans could pause the game right down. I think they should run the ball every single time (laughs) that they think they should run the ball and then play it out and analyze it based on what they thought before the play, we would see a kind of a different conversation. So in the end, yes, it is a simple answer. uh, And fans just want to freaking win. They want to win. I mean, that's the heart of the whole issue is the people want to be able to explain. And I think you're doing a great job of articulating that people want to be able to explain why they're not winning. It's easier to just look at a box score and tell you, well, Nick didn't get enough touches. It's it's much harder to dig into defensive issues and why they're broken. Like, I mean, you're talking about the Browns have scored 168 points this year. The Bills have scored 176 and they're two and five. So I think when you're analyzing, spending all your time talking about Nick Chubb not getting enough touches, you're ignoring what the problem really is which is that their defense has not been good enough in, in too many games this year to win. They're, I think they're doing enough running. I think they're doing a, a, a usually right amount of throwing. But again, it's it's you want to focus on the – I mean, largely NFL because of what, Jared? Fantasy football. Everybody yep. focuses on the offenses. And when you focus on the offense – You're typically going to find the best player. Hey, you're not getting Odell Beckham enough targets. Hey, you're not getting Nick Chubb enough carries. And it's like, that's what you're drawn to because you want to think that, hey, no matter what would have happened on that third and two, if we ran it, we would have gotten it. Hey, brother, I got an idea for you. Go back and watch the film and look at the front Baltimore hat out there on that third and two. And you tell me (laughs) you think it's a guarantee because it's just not. And if you want to be those people that say, hey, I'd rather live by Nick or die by him, that's cool. But that's not how the real football world operates. So they're not going to see it the way you do. And I know that maybe this is hard to understand, 
but your view on this might not be perfect. Okay. And maybe <laughs> mine isn't either. Maybe they have some internal thought that's different, but I just see how the rest of the league operates in these situations. And I'm telling you, third and two, fourth and two and short, the Browns are eighth in the NFL and runs in those scenarios. So, and I'm telling you, the margin is like three more carries. The, the league itself does not run the football a ton on third and two and fourth and two or less the way you think they do. They really don't because guess who else is thinking run the defense. <laughs> so, and not everybody has stuff. a, yeah, a you got a terrible. Yeah. And not everybody has a terrible run defense like the Browns. And so I had a lot of people, well, look what the bears did to the Patriots or the, you know, the, or the Patriots did the Browns defense. You're like, yeah, but you have to remember the Browns defense sucks against the run right now. Yeah. And so, you know, you can't extrapolate this for that. And but that's all they is, watch. They only watch yeah. the Browns and they think that the rest of the league is struggling to defend the run. When let me tell you, brother, they're not, there are a few exceptions Giants this year because the quarterbacks involved bears this year quarterbacks involved Baltimore quarterbacks involved Browns are one of the few teams that are non quarterback involved rush team that are still finding a way to put up rush numbers week in week out so do do I want them to do more with it yeah Jared I do I talked about it today they need to have a better inside zone run game like they need to be able to get into looks out of the gun and not have to rely on pulling people, a guard or two people and pin pull stuff. Like they don't, when you pull people, there are a chance for running linebackers or a DB sneaking through and blowing that play up. Anytime you pull always a risk. You need to have a downhill inside zone, quick hitting gun based concept. You have a really nice blend of run pass look pre-snap, but you can gain some of those cheap yards because you should be able to with Nick and Kareem. But yeah, I want them to be better at some little parts of it. But they're not off the NFL norm here. I hate to break it to you. If you don't really watch a ton of the league, I'm telling you, it's a pass happy league, even on second and uh, sorry, third and fourth and short. So I wanted to talk about that. And again, th- that comes back to to like th- th- people have an issue. The, the issues kind of generating around Nick are because Kareem gets a lot of touches. The first five weeks, I think Nick had like a 52 percent running back touch share. In the last two weeks, it's gone up to like 76%. So the Browns are seeing it. Hey, we need to have Nick on the field more, more carries, more of these touches than Kareem because he's that much better. So that is rectifying itself. But I think a lot of the pent-up frustration can't be directed at running back touches in general, and you want to push it toward toward Nick. I get that, right? Like, I get that. But again, it's like that means you're reeling back Kareem, and that means (laughs) – that means that Nick gets kind of buried. And do you want Nick in the season like this without the quarterback for 11 games to get buried? So that's another philosophical angle of this whole thing. But the run, the ball crowd, like I get it. I really do. I know you want, cause you want to win. Like all you really want to do is win. And I get, you're trying to find answers for the simple answers for why your team didn't win. And you want to look at this one individual football player and kind of boil it down to that point where it's like, you're really missing the biggest issues on this team. You really are. So you know, and and the, the other two things. One is uh, it's called magical thinking. If if this would have happened, then it, everything would have turned out well. Many people do it with their family and their job decisions and whatever. If I would have done this, everything would have been great. But that's just magical thinking because things can go crappy even if you made a different decision. And I think you're exactly right when you talk about the defense. And then even more complicated, at least for someone like me, is special teams. All I know is 
there was a return or there wasn't a return. There was, you know, a made field goal or a not made field goal. There are so many details and there are so few people I even really trust to, to evaluate special teams. And I follow a lot of really smart um, analysts and media people. And I'm not really sure I know more than one or two off the top of my head that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to trust that guy when he says what was going on in special teams. And again, I think I spent a lot of time on this. So, you know, Joe Schmo fan who is passionate, caring and all that is like, I don't know. They didn't kick the field goal. They suck. Right. Like it's, and so I get it. It's a really, really complex thing outside of just give the ball to Nick Chubb or, you know, again, whatever the the simplified answer is. Yeah. So we're going to, well, let's close with this topic before we go to break. I don't think anyone talks about stump Mitchell. I I think it's an interesting thing. Like anytime I've really been around running back, uh, you know, backfield, like um, either college or coaching days of how those, uh, you know, the running back room operates, the coach will talk to, to the, to the position coach. Uh, and usually sometimes it's an OC or play call, whoever the play caller is about, Hey, I want Nick in on these plays. I prefer he can get a break here, there, whatever. But largely it's the running back coach who is responsible for putting guys in and out of his position. So like, you know, if you're, if, if Nick needs a break, he's getting pulled out by stump stump sending Kareem onto the field or Hey, this, this series you're up now Stefanski and Van Pelt can communicate with him and say, Hey, I want Nick in on this play or that play. But for the most part, Stefanski can't always monitor as he's looking at his play sheet, going through mental process of getting the play communicated into the quarterback radio. He can't always be looking at what running back is on the field at any given moment. So they plan accordingly, but sometimes things happen. A shoe comes off. A guy's tired. He <laughs> takes a weird hit and is hurt. Like there's little parts of that. And nobody ever talks about with that discrepancy of who's on the field. Stump Mitchell. So it's like does stump not get enough. <laughs> you know, does he, is he the guy who's, and this is worth discussing. Is he the guy who puts Kareem out there? And I know that AVP and, and Stefanski have had this conversation, but late games, passing situations, they have made this choice to go with Kareem is, is that because Stump has the freedom to go ahead and throw him out there? Or like there's some communication there that nobody ever talks to. Stump could put his foot down and say, hey, man, Nick should be on the field no matter what in these scenarios, too. And there, there's a there's a conversation there that we're not privy to and we don't know and we're assigning blame. But there is a world where the running back coach is in charge of getting guys in and out of the huddle, in charge of getting guys in and out every series. And sometimes some blame should be shifted there. Much like when you look at the defense, I don't think people focus in on little bits and pieces of like, hey, the secondary's broke. I'm going to blame Joe Woods. How about we look at the guy who's with those guys every single day, who is the pass game coordinator, right? Like Jeff Howard, like no one talks about that guy because you don't want to dig into who the coaches are. You just want to blame the biggest name you see. And I get that ultimately, again, those coaches are responsible for their position coaches, but there's something to that stuff that nobody really talks about. And it's that your position coaches do matter the way they orchestrate the room, the way they orchestrate their substitutions, their teaching, the thought process. They're not just guinea pigs. They are, they are left to handle responsibilities in practice and in game day to get the most out of their guys. Everyone's quick to give Callahan credit on the O-line, but nobody talks about many of the other position coaches. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it seems very obvious that the Browns as an organization have decided that on third downs and late in games, Kareem Hunt is their guy. He's a better pass catcher. You know, the one and I'm missing which game it was where Brissett missed Chubb on a what looked like kind of a wheel route. Um, if that was Hunt, I think that ball is caught. 
just because Hunt's a better pass catcher. I think he's a better um, pass protector. I think they've just made that decision that Hunt will be in on third downs and passing downs and late in games pretty much period because what Nick Chubb does very well is run the football. He's okay on the, in the screen game, but he's not really a run routes kind of, of, of running back. And so I think, uh, you know, I think Stump Mitchell sees and wants to get Hunt involved, knows he's passionate, knows he cares, all of that kind of stuff. We have to be very honest that Kareem Hunt hasn't played very well this year either. And so it's a really hard balance that the organization seems to want to go for Hunt. Uh, Stump seems to like Kareem Hunt, um, but he hasn't really played that well. And so, um, but I do think, unfortunately, the conversation regarding Stefanski in this would be another kind of notch in the belt for those that say he shouldn't be calling plays. Not that he's bad at it, but that it's harder to call plays and pay attention to some of these other details. I think that's kind of missing the point of what normally happens in the league. Anyways, stump pretty much decides who's going in, who he sees, you know, someone need a breather or does he see an advantage here or there? Uh, I think just this year, because hunt hasn't played so well, we want Chubb far more often. Totally with it. think that's a great call. And man, I, I think the thing that I'm trying to remember with this, Jared, is we're all sort of frustrated. Whatever side you're on with this stuff, we're all sort of frustrated with the other side. Everybody just wants to win. And winning cures all, right? And that's why I said earlier today, like, I'm very fascinated to see how the run the ball crowd, based on the results of something failing, feels when it's Deshaun Watson. Will they be upset, you know, like they are with Jacoby Brissett, even though the decision was great based on coverage, based on, um, you know, uh, predictability, all the stuff that says you should throw it. Will they still be upset if it fails because it comes from Deshaun Watson and they say, well, you should have run it with Nick. I just think that'll be a little fascinating. But again, winning cures all. If you catch that football without pushing off and it's a touchdown and they get off the field in the final drive. Not a single person's mentioning Nick didn't run the football enough. They're probably applauding Kevin for using him in the fourth quarter. So <laughs> it's just funny like that. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. After that break uh, and word from our sponsors, we're going to have a couple thoughts on the trade market, where that's headed, and an, an, a really tough question from Jared, which I think is, is pretty fair given what we've seen so far. So we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. 
It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, so we should evaluate the trade value of some of these guys because I think <laughs> I think people live in a fantasy world, man. You saw a 6th round pick for James Robinson who is a conditional fifth if he plays enough snaps, has to hit some some indicators. And, you know, that the, there are people that still think Kareem Hunt can garner a third-round pick. Conklin can get you something serious. DJ, uh, Dearness Johnson can. Greedy has been con- – I, I would say this. Let me start with this question before we dig into what we think the perceived value of these guys are. Um, is this the noisiest trade market, like, season ever for the NFL? I know that there's not been a ton of moves. McCaffrey was huge, but, like – it just feels like there's more than ever this outward communication could be Twitter fluff. I don't really know, but it seems like there's more than ever of like these guys are on the market. KJ Hamler, uh, Bradley Chubb, Jerry Judy, a uh, whole bunch of different people from, you know, uh, pain. Like there's a bunch of different names that seem to be floating on the trade block. It's pretty strange. So I don't know. Am I off on that? Or did you notice no, it too? Yeah. yeah, I've definitely noticed it. And it's kind of what I'm hearing among kind of the, just the little contacts I have still in the league is that it feels a little bit closer to the NBA where you're either in it or you're not. And if you're in it, uh, you'll take the Rams approach of F them picks. Um, And if you're not in it, selling just makes sense because you get some draft capital, you can save some salary cap or you're not in it because that player might be talented, but signing him in next year, the year after just doesn't make sense because your team isn't good enough. So yeah, definitely a lot more conversation. Unfortunately it is the NFL. There is some turnaround need and there's some uh, for general managers because it is so quick to get fired. They need to show some stuff on the field. So it's tough to, to move players. There'll be a lot of conversation. I just don't know if there'll be as much movement as, as GMs don't want to sell low just to get that, third day day three pick yeah i think the nfl would be wise i mean the mlb and nba capitalize so heavily on discussion around trade markets and like i know the nfl is harder than those other leagues to just dump a guy into the situation right like that point doesn't miss me i know it's a bit of a challenge there to to throw a guy out there because it's a playbook and there's a whole bunch of nuance in this sport compared to the other two but it would be really wise from a league uh, attention uh, perspective to do this stuff have more of this stuff floating around so let's go through this so Kareem Hunt is uh, the first one we'll kind of try to put a number on. He's he's going to be 28 next year. So this is what you have to remember. You're trading guys, two of these guys, actually three of them, maybe, you know, take that back, Jared. All four of them are going to need new contracts. And usually that's how trades work. That's why the McCaffrey trade was unique because he doesn't need a new contract. You're trading into some years that are already in place. So, And the Panthers the- ate $26 million in salary cap hit. Yeah, that's it's very huge, right? It is. It's very it's very meaningful and it, it helps to get more return in terms of draft picks. So, you know, Kareem's going to need a new deal and he's going to be 28 next year going into that season. He has had injury issues. He had the calf last year. Uh, obviously, he's had an off the field, uh, you know, misstep or two. And people think that he's just worth like a third or fourth round pick. And I find that to be really funny considering you know, James Robinson, I understand he's coming off of an uh, Achilles issue, but he's played well this year. He's had some good games this year. And uh, I would say, at least me, 
you know, having the ability to keep him as a restricted free agent matters more to the long-term nature of that pick you give up. Cause you don't want to give up a fourth, fifth, third or fourth, God forgive, forbid a third or fourth. If you, that guy's just going to walk away, you can stomach a guy like Von Miller walking away. If he's going to get you a super bowl, be a huge part of that, but it's different for a running back. So that's why I think the Kareem stuff has just been off, off schedule. I would say Kareem's value is a sixth round pick like max. Like that's the best I could see them getting back for him. Do you think they can do better? I think the only way they do better is, is a team like the Rams who just doesn't care about picks. Right. Um, there, there's some opportunity there um, to kind of get that fourth round pick. I think where they'll do better is uh, maybe some pick swaps that make it sound like it's nicer, but you know, they move from a fifth to a fourth or, or maybe there's a, there's a young player that they like, but I do know that one of the reasons the Jets went with Robinson instead of Hunt, besides the fact that Hunt is one of the highest paid backup core, or he is the highest paid running back, uh, backup running back in the NFL, um, is the opportunity to have Robinson for a second year with Brees Hall probably going to miss the early part of next year. So yeah, he's a little bit older. Uh, he was disgruntled. Uh, he cares, but he hasn't really been as detail-oriented on the field you're probably hopeful for that fifth round pick or just some type of player swap where another team is, is deep with a young player. That's probably not going to be defensive tackle teams. Don't trade defensive tackles very often uh, that are decent. So it could be wide receiver, could be tight end, something like that. Uh, But a, a team that's trying to compete doesn't have that player readily available either. So I think you're probably at best case looking at a, a fifth round pick and really hoping uh, that it's seen from a kind of a, a, a locker room perspective as giving your guy a chance to make it to a Super Bowl, right? Letting him out to really make that difference as opposed to, wow, I can't believe you just gave away Kareem Hunt, who wanted to play in Cleveland for a fifth round pick. Yeah, good perspective on how you shape this around the locker room there. Conklin is the next one who's having, I think he's having a nice season in, by, by standards of a guy coming back from a patella tendon tear. Uh, I think he's doing fine. I think teams like the Jets make a pretty fair amount of sense, given they lost Elijah Vera Tucker and had some other mishaps on that offensive line, including Becton being out for the year. Um, They're competing. They're five and two. It's a matter of how aggressive they want to get. I could see Conklin netting you a little bit more, partly because I I think he'll be, at least to me, will be interested in staying with the team that he goes to, because if you're a winner and you take care of him, there's an opportunity there. I think you, the best you I could see Conklin going for at this rate at this point in the season. I mean, like a like a like a potential upgrade to a fourth. That's just kind of the number I'm putting on it. I'm not. I don't feel really good about going crazy with the number he could get. Uh, but he's he's certainly a guy that you think you could plug and play pretty quickly because offensive line. There's some things to learn, but it's not overwhelming, right? You just got to learn the protection calls. So uh, Conklin is probably the most interesting to me. Could probably get you up to a fourth, in my opinion. Yeah, I think obviously they have some opportunities. They could do some extension conversations with them, which could change things, right? You can you can do a lot of things with trades where if we sign him, you get a third or, you know, whatever it is, if you push it back a year or whatever. Um, I do think he probably is getting that fourth round pick uh, offensive line, someone who's a, a really a top level offensive lineman, even if it is only for one year, really can't take you over the top. A third or a fourth round pick for someone like that, while he's not a Von Miller, really can transform an offense or really take it kind of that next level. So whether that's the jets, I saw that the, I I don't know why the Titans had a bunch of offensive linemen come in for workouts, but I don't see any injury reports that 
would tell me why they would have done that. But a return back to Tennessee could actually be really interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of teams that would be looking at offensive tackle. And the good thing for the Browns is I think Conklin and Kareem Hunt are probably the best players who could come at a a decent trade at their two positions. Laramie Tunsil might be on the market, but the Texans, that contract's huge and the Texans are going to want a lot for him. So there is some upside to those two players, which there was some talk of the Jets trying to package to get both of them at the same time, which really could have made a really interesting uh, trade return. But I think you're in the ballpark uh, in that fourth, could be a third, uh, compensatory third, maybe something like that. Yeah, he's the one that stands out to me above above many others. The other one that was kind of thrown out today was greedy. Um, you know, if you're if you're trading for greedy, a guy that's going to need a new contract, a guy that is, you know, he's got the shoulder lingering shoulder thing that is never truly going to go away. He's had multiple years of soft tissue issues that have kept him out of games as well, including this year and including his rookie year at the very beginning of it. So there's just, there's a lot to consider there, in my opinion, with, with greedy. And it's like, what does greedy do? Well, right. People thought he's a man corner. He's kind of struggled in man. He's not been great in zone. I think if you're just looking to raise the basement of your cornerback room, there's something there, but boy, I'd be hesitant on giving up a draft pick. I'd probably say you could maybe squeeze a seventh or a future sixth, like a down the line sixth. But to me, I mean, he's played one game this year. It's kind of hard to feel like you have a great feel for what Greedy Williams is going to give you. Uh, but but I think there's a sliver of trade value there. Do you think so? Yeah, but I think it's going to be uh, similar to the Deion Jones trade where uh, the Browns give back a seventh and get a sixth or, you know, something of that nature. There's not a lot of value there. Um, there, there are some cornerbacks that could be had in the trade market. Um there weirdly there are a lot of good cornerbacks and so um so if there's a lot of good cornerbacks there's a lot of lot more uh acceptable cornerbacks i just don't see exactly what you said what greedy williams does well he's most comfortable it seems comfortable uh in off man bail technique mm -hmm. which in the nfl in these quick hitter offenses off man bail technique means the other guys getting 7 to 10 yards uh automatically ain't really going to work that often yeah, it's not. I don't. I just don't. I don't see the value. I don't really see why a team would give up something that matters in that situation. But again, that's just me. There could be a team that's desperate enough to do that sort of thing. But it's again hard for me to understand um, a little bit of that. <laughs> what that decision making would look like. Um, last one is Dearness Johnson, and I don't think there's any trade value. I think maybe you could have gotten something for him at the beginning of the year. But I also thought if the if there was something to be had there, they would have gotten it. I really do because they have gone into this year with zero plan to use him throughout the beginning to now they forced him out here because Jerome Ford's been hurt and some other little stuff has come up in the return game. But like, I don't really see it. I don't really see a trade value for him at all. And people can seem to like, think that someone's going to give up something of real substance for him. And I, I'm kind of confused by it, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, if the Browns aren't using him at all, I know they have a lot of good backs, you know, but they're not using him at all. We saw what it was last year, this year, you know, it almost feels like they just thought they could hold on to him, keep him fresh, keep him safe, keep him uninjured, keep him healthy. And another team would be like, well, we remember those one or two games last year. We'll go ahead and throw a fifth round pick your way. Right. Like it just felt like that because they haven't played him, but there has been times where he may have been beneficial or helpful, but it doesn't matter what he might be. It matters what the actual value is. And right now, 
again, probably has a smidge more than Greedy Williams, even though Greedy plays a more valuable position. But that's really just based on hope and wish uh, at a running back position that maybe a couple teams, listen, Buffalo, right, goes, ah, we'll give you a little bit of something just to just to get him here, right? Maybe something like that. But beyond that, I don't see it really happening. I don't either. So that wraps up the trade value of some of these guys. So uh, let's take a quick break. Last break. We'll come back with a couple interesting questions from both sides of uh, myself and Jared. Actually, two points from Jared. So we'll let him lead coming out of the break here. So, Jared, get yourself ready. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Jared, take the lead, man. Tell us what you got. I think you got yeah. a couple interesting points to make here. One's a point. One is a, uh, I think one's a question. <laughs> one's a point. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So we're going to go like my first question. And the only thing I can think of is, you know, trying to find some, some, something to be excited about with this in the trade market. For me, there's only one player that I've heard out there that would actually make sense for the Browns to, um, to acquire, to look to acquire, even though he's going to need a new contract. And that's Deron Payne uh, in Washington, just because finding a defensive tackle is tough. The report I saw said a day to pick, uh, which for the Browns that can get really difficult with the Deshaun Watson deal. Uh, but maybe they, you know, the, this, the third round pick, the second one they got for uh, Quezzy going up to Minnesota plus something else. Maybe there's something there uh, in that kind of trade, but it feels like another team would be able to do more than that. Is there a player besides maybe Payne and maybe not even Payne that you would say, you know what? I think the Browns, if opportunity presented itself, should go after this player or um, someone you've heard of that might be on the market. I mean, Elijah Moore is the one that stands out to me, a guy still on a rookie deal. You could talk me into KJ Hamler too. I think the running, the wide, sorry, the wide receiver draft is interesting but the wide receiver free agent market is extremely dicey like terrible this upcoming season so i am not uh in the belief that you need to pursue that market and that means you're going into the draft and you never know where guys are going to land in the draft what the position will be when you're up and whether you want to take the player that's there we've seen the browns pass on some people like pickens and sky Moore, and like it's kind of hard to pin down what they're looking for in receivers sometimes so I mean, to me, again, just me, I would be interested in a guy still in a rookie deal and Hamler and more are. But again, the price, like what's that going to be? It seems like the Jets are they're just not willing to let go of more for something significant, even though they're not really using him, which I find peculiar. So, yeah, man, a lot of stuff going on with with those two situations. Um, wide receiver, I think, is the one spot that I certainly feel like there is something potentially there. Uh, yeah. in terms of being able to find a guy maybe long term but i i see i really don't expect them to do that i really don't expect them to be in the the wide receiver market really at all 
the other the other one I would say I don't have a name for it, but if they could find a returner, that'd be kind of cool. Like I don't know where that returner is, but if they could find that guy, that'd be really awesome. Uh, I really would love to see a returner. Uh, I was really excited about Jakeem Grant. Not that he's going to be Josh Cribbs, but man, just having a returner who actually wants to be a returner and has, it doesn't have to, you don't have to just be fast. You have to be able to understand it. Uh, I don't know if that guy's out there, but I'd like that guy as well. So my statement and, and, you know, you guys listen, you'll be our folks and, and your listeners know me well, I tend to be a pretty optimistic person about everything uh, and including somehow the Cleveland Browns. But I guess my statement would be at some level for the 40 plus years that I've been on the earth outside of losing the Browns. And I have a sports illustrated cover of art model punching uh, a a dog uh, from when that happened. This feels like it might be literally the hardest season ever for these reasons. Doesn't seem like there's any hope for the playoffs outside of David and Joku who already got paid pretty freaking well. There are no young players really developing, right? There are players that show a little bit here and there. Isaiah Thomas had a good game this week, whatever, but no real like, Oh my gosh, look at that player. And there's no first round picks. Like I can't even from a coverage perspective for dogs by nature. And I know for you guys, like it's hard to find, okay, well they got the number five pick. Here's how they can turn their, turn their year around next year. All of that. Like, because of those three things doesn't seem like there's any hope for the playoffs doesn't seem like any player young players are really really highly developing yes martin emerson looks fun for a third round pick and there's no first round picks it just feels like one of the hardest seasons for for the media for fans for the team like it's missing something to be optimistic about am i just being too pessimistic or does that feel like it's kind of where you're at as well no, I, I said I think they're having horrible luck. I think they're having horrible luck. And on top of all the other things that you mentioned there, like it was a long and hard off season, right? It, it was yeah. a, I mean, the decision to let go of Baker Mayfield and the realization that this is not, this guy's not who we think he is. And uh, there, there's just, man, there was so, there was so much, there was so much there. And then the Watson decision to come to Cleveland and a lot of people having to just sort of come to grips with accepting that, right? And like, everything that comes with accepting that, which is, again, which was pretty challenging. So I, I think you add that in and then the thought and the, and at least the, not the, the, I guess you justify that they can get through the suspension because these early games were supposed to be this beacon <laughs> of like, this thing's going to start really well. And then they don't win those games. And not only do they not win them, but they lose them in crushing fashion. Yeah. I would, I would say, I really do agree that this has been one of the hardest beginnings to a Cleveland Brown season that we've seen in a long time. And largely because, again, I've mentioned this on some of my shows, this is like, it's 20 years, man. It's 20 years of just wait. And you're telling people to, hey, just wait again, right? Like you just waited through all the crap, right? They, they go through multiple regime changes to the Sashi thing. And then they're like, okay, you know, we've sat through some of these guys being okay for a while, right? We've mediocre or whatever. We're going to tank it. We're going to full on tank this thing, collect as much as we can, sell a player and take their $20 million contract for a pick and whole bunch of stuff. Right. And some of it worked and some of it didn't, but you thought you had the quarterback. You thought you had everything in place and now we can really be in this after 2018. Let's make a run. Then 19 happens. It blows up. 20 gives you some hope. 21 is like a realization of this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And then they finally figure out this thing that you've been craving them to figure out is to find this quarterback, find this answer. And they do, but it's like, oh, right. 
you know, so it's, it's just a lot, man. And then you add in all of the waiting that you've been doing, <laughs> multiply it by, you got to also wait a little longer because of a suspension. And it's like, it, it just, it's hard, brother. It's hard for these people to watch it and accept it and understand that like, at this point, people are so frustrated with the decision or people that have stuck around that they're like, I'm not, they they need to give me results right now. They need to give me results right now. I'm not waiting on while the front office, you can tell based on the way they're acting, they feel different, right? They're acting in a way that they have time and patience. And I would think that to go through the deal that they went through and the decision to ultimately get Deshaun Watson, you're kind of, there was like a blood pact. There was a blood pact that happened in that office. There just was about, we're going to do this together and write it together. But that means, we're all in this together and you're going to give us two years. Like I, I don't see Andrew and Kevin signing off on that thing unless they got two years guaranteed. Give us at least a full season with this guy, no matter what bumpy road stuff hits, we need this time with them. So on and so forth. So again, you're telling people to wait, Jared, you're telling them to yeah. wait. And as people that you've told to wait since 1995, wait on your franchise to come back, wait on your franchise to get good. Wait on your franchise to draft right. Wait on your franchise to get the right coach. Oh, now you got to wait on your franchise to get the quarterback back who's suspended. Like, it's just a lot. It's been a lot, and there's a lot of scar tissue there for people. There is, and I think what's really interesting as we kind of close out kind of all of this is, uh, and I tweeted about it yesterday, the funniest thing is is our biggest worry, or seemingly the biggest worry coming into the season, was Jacoby Brissett. But when you look at the quarterbacks who were traded or moved this offseason, Matt Ryan has been benched. He's now also hurt. Russell Wilson has been bad, and now he's hurt. Baker Mayfield was bad, hurt. Watson is suspended. Carson Wentz was bad, and now he's hurt. Marcus Mariota and Jacoby Brissett are probably the two best quarterbacks who moved, both of them were signed as free agents, who moved this offseason, right? Like every other quarterback that was traded has been bad or suspended and hurt. And then you have Geno Smith, who is, it's his third year in Seattle, but, you know, his first as a full-time starter. Of all of them, he's the best. But Jacoby Brissett is not the reason. The Browns are terrible. And that makes all of it so much more complicated and frustrating. Because if it was just because Jacoby Brissett was bad, all of us would be like, well, we knew that. We thought that might be the case. We thought he'd be the anchor. And all of a sudden, it's defense. It's special teams. It's obviously Brissett has some bad plays here and there. So, yeah, I think everything you just said, we add it all up to go, wow, the NFL is very strange. The NFL is really weird. Um, and unfortunately, until they prove otherwise, the Cleveland Browns have proven that they don't know how to win on a regular basis. And until they prove that, we're going to try to figure out a reason why they're not winning. And we know it's not just because they're not giving Nick Chubb the ball. It it is not just because they don't run the ball enough. Well said. Well said. All right, we're going to close out this pod. Thanks to Jared, uh, which was great today. Great topic. Great banter. Uh, Appreciate you, brother. Um, Catch up with you soon. As usual, keep crushing it over Dogs by Nature, man. Much love. Absolutely, brother. Good to talk to you. Hope all is well. All right, guys. That's a wrap for today. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate all of you for being here, supporting the OBR, continuing to show up even in the dark times. Like I said yesterday, you guys are great. We appreciate that very much. we got a great new addition, Brad Ward, joining us over at the OBR. Check out his stuff coming out soon. He'll be on some shows. Uh, yeah, anyway, check in with you soon. We'll uh, answer any of your questions you had about the game that we maybe didn't get to on Chalk Talk with Kyle and, and John and all that. So hit me up and let me know if you need anything. 
As usual, appreciate you all. Have a great Wednesday. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.